Hello everyone, I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, a testimony of your story for His glory. She is the daughter of one of the nation's most respected intellectuals, former Reagan policy analyst, president of King's College, New York, and heralded debater of atheists and left-wing ideologues, and this just for starters. His New York Times best-selling books and the documentaries that would follow include 2016 Obama's America, America, Hillary's America, Death of a Nation, and his latest blockbuster release, Trump Card, beating socialism, corruption, and the deep state. And this is where my next guest comes in, literally, in her on-camera role in Trump Card. Poised, elegant, obviously intelligent, and armed with facts versus fiction concerning the issue of abortion in her just-released must-read The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America, which we will talk about Today, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome author, speaker, advisory board member of Women for Trump, a coalition for President Donald J. Trump, Dartmouth College graduate, recent newlywed, and social media maven, and all before the ripe age of 25, Daniel D'Souza Gill. Daniel, welcome to Testimony. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, Danielle. First of all, I have to say what a joy it has been, not to mention education, interviewing your father, filmmaker, writer, and producer, Dinesh D'Souza, on his many documentaries, including his latest brilliantly produced Trump card, for which you make an appearance in discussing your latest just released, The Choice. But before... We get into all of this in our brief time here today. Would you briefly share with our audience, Danielle, how you came to faith in Jesus Christ as your very first book, Why God, an Intelligent Discussion in the Relevance of Faith, would seem to indicate? Danielle D'Souza, please tell us that story. Yeah, I wrote my first book, Why God, when I was in high school. It came out when I was 17. So, um, it was a little bit ago, but I wrote that book really because I felt like a lot of young people weren't really sure kind of what apologetics was, how they could kind of combat the questions being asked of them as far as the science and the reasonableness of God. And so I really kind of dived into questions like, are faith and reason compatible? Was Jesus an historical person? What about miracles? Um, how can we believe in a God who, who cares about us if we live in a world with suffering? I kind of dived into all those questions, and I think what sparked me to um, write that book was um, my family in India was kind of just asking me a lot of questions. Many of um, my cousins there live in uh, communities that are Hindu, Muslim, but they're Christian, and so they would ask me, you know, how do I respond to this with my friends? And so we got into this whole email exchange, and we would talk on the phone about it, and then I thought, you know, I think this would actually be something that a lot of other young people would be interested in, but... I think when I think about when um, kind of my faith developed, I think it really started from a young age for me. And um, I did kind of 
believe ever since I can really remember, honestly, but I think my faith deepened over time, especially when I was um, in middle school and then more so I would say in high school. And I think recently as I've kind of graduated from college, I live in New York now and, and married. And I think that the abortion issue was just one I felt like I really needed to tackle because this is an issue that is coming to the forefront of our national debate. And so many on the other side are pushing this pro-abortion ideology, this idea that abortion empowers women, that you can't be, you know, an an empowered woman unless you have an abortion. And um, I just wanted to bring more people onto the pro-life side and really uh, dive into that issue more deeply and address the questions that I feel like they ask me the most. So you've already answered my first question, which is, how did you become so passionate about the pro-life movement and at such a young age? So next question. What do millennials, of which you are one, not know about having an abortion that, if they did, would forever dissuade them from having one? Yeah, there are so many things I learned in my research that really just showed me, wow, you know, I wish more people knew this. I think one of the big ones is actually what I learned about pain. I think uh, learning that there are quite quite a lot of second trimester as well as third trimester abortions, um, even if a baby is aborted in the first trimester, they do feel pain. And I think just learning that they release the same cortisol, the same stress responses that we release when we are under duress. And that's what happens to them when they are beginning to be aborted. And I think we often think, oh, it must be a quick process. It must be an instant process. And it really is not, no matter what abortion method it is, the pill, the suction, the DNC. And with the DNC, it can usually take about a day for, um, the baby to actually die from, you know, being pierced in its heart or brain, the dismemberment, all of that. And it is not administered any kind of anesthesia. I think if any of my, you know, young pro-choice friends knew that, they would just be horrified and think, wow, I just, I can't believe that, you know, any of us who are undergoing a surgery, I mean, none of us are killed intentionally like they would be, but if we were going through something painful, we would obviously be anesthetized and they are not anesthetized. And of course, I think that shows us the humanity of this child and the fact that They should not be killed in the first place. But to also even think about the fact that they're suffering through this long process is really just terrific, and I wish more people knew about that. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to author Danielle D'Souza Gill, her must-read, The Choice. Danielle, talk about some of the, quote, myths you outline in your book as nothing more than abortion propaganda. Yeah, the left honestly really pushes this propaganda. They push this idea that, um, you know, abortion is healthcare. It's no different from any other medical procedure. They like to compare the child in the womb to an appendix. They like to compare it to a body part, something that you don't really need and you can just throw away. But in reality, this child has many body parts. And even in the first trimester, it has its own toes. It has its own elbow. It has its own heartbeat. And so we're not talking about the body part of the woman. We're talking about a child that has its own body parts. And um, I think that just their whole rhetoric on acting like they're for science is really off base because the science actually shows us that from conception, we have a unique being, not a unique body part. We have a unique organism that has its own unique DNA. From that moment, we already know that that's when it gets its sex. Um, We know that that's when it gets its hair color, its, its eye color, all of those things. And um, so I think that the fact that the science is clearly on our side is something we need to push out more. Um, I also think propaganda-wise, they like to push 
um, just this idea that it's a simple and safe procedure and it's really not a big deal. And in reality, there are many women who've gone through it. It was um, a very horrible experience for them, but they oftentimes can't talk about the either physical or emotional side effects of it because that kind of counters the left pro-choice narrative. Amen. Danielle D'Souza, is it ever right to have an abortion? Your thoughts? You know, I think that oftentimes pro-lifers are a little confused on how to answer questions about hard cases, like um, maybe life of the mother, rape, incest, and so on. But I think it's important for us to remember kind of the specifics involved in each of those. So I would say that, you know, let's take rape and incest first. I would consider incest in the same category as rape if it's an underage person because they cannot consent to something like that. So if there was a rape that occurred, I would say that, you know, it's really ironic that the other side often argues for the death penalty for the child and does not argue for the death penalty for the rapist. Um, Many people on the left argue we should have lighter sentences for rapists and people like that. And I think that actually the solution here is to prevent the rape from occurring in the first place, to prevent rapists from walking our streets and to actually keep that from occurring. But I think that if we really look at it, the child does not deserve to be punished. The child had no action in that. The child did not have a choice there. And um, I think when it comes to the mother kind of being reminded of this and, and not wanting to face the child, I would say that adoption and also closed adoption, which is completely anonymous, there's absolutely no connection between the two parties, um, is something that I would re- I would really recommend because that child can then be raised by people who don't view it in light of that circumstance and don't view it um, as coming out of that. They just view it as a child that they've been wanting to adopt and have been waiting for and they will love it and cherish it. And I think that in the same way, the woman would be able to move on from that situation, knowing that the child is in a better off situation. But either way, if uh, that horrible thing occurred in the first place, she would have to kind of recover from that. And taking the child's life doesn't undo that action in the first place. Um, I think the other hard one for many pro-lifers is what about life as a mother? And I think that this one is always kind of thrown into places that don't actually make any sense. If we actually look at, let's say, third trimester abortions, there's never a reason to actually abort the child for the life of the mother. If there is a complication, you can do an early delivery, but there's never a need to kill the child and then deliver it. No matter what, you're going to be delivering a child. So the question is, is this child going to be dead or alive? And I would say that you should strive for life, try to deliver the child. Of course, if the child, for some reason of its own, is not able to to get through that, then I hope that it would be given the health care that it needs, but to deliberately kill the child is completely different. And um, so I would advocate for delivery instead of abortion. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel D'Souza Gill, her latest must read, The Choice. Danielle, do Democrats worship at the altar of abortion, your view? And if yes, why? Yes, they do. I think if we really look at the issues that kind of inspire them, the issues that really get them to turn out, the issues that get them uh, really fired up. It's not the minimum wage and it's not the uh, illegal alien. It's not any of these other things. It's not taxes. It is abortion. That's what brings them out to kind of protest Supreme Court hearings all the time. That's what brings them to, you know, do this whole women's march, which they basically orient around abortion. And that's why they're such in favor of Planned Parenthood. So abortion is absolutely at the center of what they believe. And we even see this with their candidates. Every candidate that they were 
um, running for president was all uh, in favor of late term abortion. And we even see with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that they were both in favor of federal funding for abortion. They both want to overturn the Hyde Amendment, making every American pay for other people's unlimited abortions. And a lot of us don't want to be involved in that. We don't want to have to um, do something that we find unconscionable. So I think that this whole idea that the Democrats are somehow moderate on this issue, their old slogan of safe, legal, and rare, all of that uh, from the 90s has really been thrown out the window. They are the party of abortion, and they do not distance themselves from it. Even in 2016, when uh, Trump and Hillary were debating, Hillary was asked about post-birth abortion. She was asked about partial birth abortion and nine-month abortion. And she went on to defend nine-month abortion. And Trump said, you know, you're ripping the child from the womb at the ninth month. So that is not okay. And she said, well, you know, it's so unfortunate that, you know, you want to get involved in someone else's choices and so on. So the Democrats have really become extremely radical on this issue. And I think we need to wake up to that fact. We have to uh, meet them where they are in, you know, debunking their myths, which is at the nine month point. Exactly. Now, your book, The Choice, is well-researched, thoughtful, and packed with facts and mentions of many well-known personalities, some that choose abortion, others that do not. Talk about one in each category that impacted you the most and why. Yeah, so there are so many inspiring people that I write about in the book. I look at many perspectives. I look at women who have gone through abortion, who have um, you know, maybe did that many years ago and have it kind of haunted them for a long time and they maybe didn't even talk about it with friends or family and um, only through kind of acknowledging that and realizing what it actually was were they able to move on and have some healing there. Many of them are actually pro-life advocates. Um, I also look at kind of the man's perspective. Uh, there are many men mm-hmm. who wanted to take care of their child, but they had absolutely no say in the matter and unfortunately had no rights. I look at kind of how do they heal from that process. And oftentimes it's very difficult because uh, they feel a sense of helplessness and a sense that they were not able to save their family. Um, So men are completely left out when it comes to the legality of it. And I think also just in terms of uh, the things that the left pushes, I mean, they push for men to be vulnerable and share their feelings and all of this. But um, from actually talking to men about what really breaks their hearts the most, it's the loss of a child. And um, I think that's something that we need to talk about more if we want fathers to be involved in their children's life. We should encourage that, not discourage that or you know, keep them out in that way. Um, I also look at children who were aborted or they were tried to be aborted, and they actually survived that process. Many of them have um, physical deformities, sometimes mental deformity, and um, that they're very strong pro-life people. And they say, you know, my life is worth living. They might have not had that had they not been injected with saline and these other poisons. Um, but there are people who survive abortions, and they're very strong people, and I look at some of their stories. Um, I also look at what about uh, kind of abortionists. There are abortionists and people who are on the inside of Planned Parenthood and things like that, and then right. realize, wow, you know, this is actually a procedure that I don't want to be part of. And um, I also look at kind of what are what, what's the bigger picture here? What about people who, you know, the left argues are better off dead? People who grew up in a bad neighborhood or in foster care or who have Down syndrome. All these things, there are all these people that the left says, you know, this person is better off dead. This person should have been aborted. And I think that when you, when you actually talk to those people, you can see that that is not true. Testimony's very first broadcast dealt with the issue of abortion and a woman who had never shared 
her story, Danielle, in over 50 years. And the two abortions she would have won before sonograms were available, and she bought the lie of, quote, just a blob of tissue, end quote, and then won, knowing that life begins at conception, but pressured by her spouse, six kids already, and a thriving publishing business. Regretfully, she chose to abort. That said, how are you reaching those young and older with hope, healing, and forgiveness for those who have had abortions? And is your book, The Choice, a good place to start to get those solutions and alternatives? Absolutely. I talk a lot about how um, you know, there are so many other options like adoption and there are other options um, other than abortion. And I think that many people don't actually want to talk about the realities here. And I do assume that, you know, if someone is going in to get an abortion, they've decided that they don't want to raise this child. And so I would say, you know what, that's okay. Maybe that's not something you can do, but let other people raise it who want to raise it, who are waiting in line to adopt. We have about 35 families waiting for every child available. So there's a family out there who will absolutely, you know, cherish this child. And so I don't think that um, people talk enough about what the alternatives are. And I also think that kind of creating a culture of life and creating a cultural change of hearts and minds is really uh, what we need to be doing long term and showing that, you know, this isn't just about kind of uh, the aftermath, but how can we kind of make prevent this from um, you know, even getting to this point where we, we're getting up to almost a million abortions a year. Um, many people, as you mentioned with the ultrasound, many women don't see it. They are not shown their ultrasound by Planned Parenthood even today. And Democrats oppose showing women their ultrasound. But we actually see that statistics tell us that every time a woman sees her ultrasound, she is much more likely to walk out of that clinic and not get the abortion. So I think that truth is on our side. And um, many people have that. Um, have that reaction when they see the ultrasound. So, yeah, I really do kind of dive into what the reality is of this and also, um, you know, the positive side. Well, how can we heal from a situation like this, even just as a country? Um, you know, I think we live in one of the greatest countries on earth, but this is definitely a stain that we've had in our, in our nation because we have one of the most radical abortion policies in the world. Um, if a woman wanted to leave the country, you know, in the third trimester and get an abortion in Europe, for example, on demand, you probably couldn't get one. But here, we really do allow abortion on demand um, up until the ninth month in many states. And that is extremely radical. So I think we just have to continue our messaging and make sure that our messaging is written in a way that reaches someone who doesn't hold the same assumptions as us. And that's what I try to do in my book. I don't assume you are already religious or conservative or have these kind of principles of life, I assume that you've been hearing a lot of the leftist messaging. And that's why every chapter or title of my book is a pro-choice myth. And I start by going into what that is, what that argument is, and then responding to it and debunking it. Because I think even for many pro-lifers, we have to kind of start by being um, on the defense. If a, if a friend asks us something, if you know uh, someone on the other side asks us something, we have to be kind of armed to answer any kind of question. It could be science, it could be legal, it could be a moral question, maybe a family question, all those things. And I think we need to be fully kind of equipped on all sides of the issue. Exactly. And you do that and beautifully. So ladies and gentlemen, again, you're listening to Daniel D'Souza Gill. Her latest must read, The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. Danielle, Dr. Alveda C. King, actress Jennifer O'Neill, 
Carol Everett and many others good friends of mine have shared their stories with testimony of the hope, healing, and forgiveness made available through a relationship with Jesus Christ from the pain of abortion to now greater purpose in life. That said, Danielle, what do you want to say to your millennial friends and all those listening who have regretted their abortions or that one listening now considering one? I would say that if you're considering one, I would say to uh, read my book first, to dive into the facts. I think that the facts really speak for themselves. And I think that um, I actually think that there is um, a lot on our side. I mean, all of the science, all of the medical is on our side and the history, the moral aspects, all of it. And I would just say that, um, you know, whatever situation you're in, whatever it is that you're facing, that you think that you can't face, um, it will pass. And I think that, um, think about, you know, what's best for this child as far as its future. And I think that um, there's no doubt that that is for it to at least be allowed to live on this earth. And, um, you know, many women think they wouldn't want their child. Sometimes later um, in the pregnancy, they realize they would want it. But if you don't, I would say to let another family raise the child and move on with your life with kind of gratitude for being able to give that child a better life. I know a lot of my friends who've been adopted are so grateful to their birth mothers and actually look up to them a lot because they know that that person made a sacrifice and a choice that was in their best interest and chose to give them life instead of abort them. Um, And I think I would also say that, you know, this situation, um, it defines you in the sense that it is your choice and we are defined by our choices. And so I hope that you would make a choice that you are happy with for the rest of your life and that you feel like, um, you know, you're not going to regret later. And um, to women, I guess, who do regret that, I would say that, you know, um, I, I'm glad to hear that because I think that that is the first step to healing from it. It's recognizing what happened and what that was. And um, there's forgiveness. There's always forgiveness. And I would say to just give that to the Lord and to, Um, Maybe use your voice to help others and speak on this issue. Share your story with other people who might be struggling. And you just never know who you might help in that situation because um, you have a very powerful voice. Amen and amen. With the recent confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, how hopeful or not are you that Roe v. Wade will be eventually overturned and even in our lifetime? Yes, I think it will not only be overturned in our lifetime, but soon. I think there are a couple ways that it could happen. Um, Since we have a clearly pro-life majority now, I don't consider Justice Roberts to be pro-life or at least on our side because he has voted in favor of pro-choice things in the past. But we now have a pro-life majority even counting him not on our side. So we don't actually need him to vote with us in any case. But I think with Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation and our clear majority, I would say that, you know, there are a couple ways they can go. One is kind of a chipping away at Roe over time, and that would be them taking cases, looking at maybe heartbeat bills, maybe other kinds of restrictions, and then saying this can be upheld for this reason or that reason. Um, Another way that they can go is simply to overturn Roe and basically do what Brown v. Board of Education did with Plessy versus Ferguson. Plessy versus Ferguson was a decision that said separate is equal. And that is kind of what allowed for segregation. But when Brown v. Board came along, 
they basically said, no, sorry, separate is not equal. And so an overturning of Roe would be something that basically said, no, abortion is not in the Constitution. And this justification you used, right to privacy, doesn't exist and also does not apply to abortion. Just because we may be able to um, not have someone search our home or search our car without a warrant, that doesn't mean that we should be doing abortion on demand and surgical procedures and so on. Um, just because we're in our house or in our car doesn't mean we can kill someone. And in any case, these procedures are not done in our homes, but that's put aside. I think they would basically say that the background and whatever kind of justification was used for Roe v. Wade was not constitutional. And I don't think that that's very far-fetched at all, actually. Many judges have written about the fact that the justification for Roe was really not there. Even Justice right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg has written about that. She's written about the fact that they should have used a different justification, but the one they did use really made no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to best-selling author, commentator, Women for Trump coalition member, and pro-life activist, and more, Daniel D'Souza Gill, whose latest, The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America, is a must-read. You can learn more about Danielle's work, ministry, and mission by visiting com and get her book, Get Informed, and get the help you need. You will be blessed and well-armed that you did. Danielle, thank you. God bless you, and God bless these United States of America. Our choice is clear. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a great honor. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope we can stay in touch. I look forward to that, Danielle. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a song written by Karen Taylor Good, sung by your host, for Testimony's very first broadcast, and in honor of Testimony's very first guest, Precious Child. In my plans, I was the first to believe, precious child, precious child, but in this world, I was left here to greet, precious child, my precious child, in my soul, there is a That can never be feared In my heart there is hope And you are with me still In my heart you live on Always there, never It may be true that we're apart You will live forever in my heart God knows I won't know how to see you, touch you And I know that there's a heaven And someday I will again Please know you're not forgotten until then.
always there, never gone. Precious child, gone too soon, though it may be true that we're apart, you will Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenbard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D dot com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensine Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.